A video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Hey guys, thanks for joining me in Bible study today. We're back in Romans chapter 1. Last time we looked at verse 16 and then verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. And later I realized, whoa, I skipped right over verse 17. (laughs) I thought, this is inexcusable. But I can see a purpose in that. Let's put it all together right now. Let's let's read those verses again, beginning with verse 16. Paul wrote to the Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, or from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 7 says, in it, that is in the gospel, God revealed his righteousness from faith to faith. Remember when we looked at verse 18, the next verse, he tells us this, the wrath of God, well, I don't want to leave out that first word, it's important, for, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We looked at that last time. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against unrighteousness. And we're all unrighteous, right? Yes, until by faith. God makes it very clear that we're all of us, none is righteous, until by faith we receive the gift of righteousness of Christ. He gives us his righteousness. The Bible makes that very clear. There's a temptation for us to see verses 16 and 17 as a kind of unit that's totally separated from verse 18, as if in verse 18 he begins a totally new thought. But actually, they all fit together. We've got to consider all this passage together. Did you notice that all three of these verses start with the word for, F-O-R, for? In other words, each of these is, is like a logical conclusion based on the next verse. For means because. He says what he says because of what he's going to say next. It's all connected. Maybe it'd help us to see how that works if we reverse them and use the word so, maybe, uh, as another way to help us connect the ideas. Let's, let's try to do that, working backward from verse 18. So from 18, we learn that God's wrath is revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness. So, and now going back to verse 17, God gives us the righteousness of Christ as a gift in order to enable us to escape that wrath of verse 18. So, backing up a little bit more, the gospel is obviously very powerful, leads to salvation, leads to escaping the wrath of God. He tells us that in verse 16. And so, we should never be ashamed of it. You see how that works? Back in verse 16, it all fits together. Another way to see that connection may be like this. In verse 15, Paul had told them he was eager to preach the gospel to them there in Rome. So he's excited about it because he's not ashamed of it, because it's powerful, because by faith it brings to us the gift of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. It's that powerful that saves us. It's powerful because God's wrath is against all unrighteousness. So we need this salvation. You see how it all fits together? When he says in verse 17 that God's righteousness, and he's talking about God's righteousness in us, the gift of righteousness that we receive at salvation when we trust Jesus, 
He gives us his righteousness. He says it's from faith to faith. He's reminding us that we receive Christ's righteousness by faith, from faith. We continue in his righteousness by faith, to faith. We're saved by faith. We walk by faith. We live by faith all the way through. You remember what Paul told the Ephesians in his letter to the Ephesians? He said, for by grace, you've been saved through what? You remember? Faith, of course. By grace, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one should boast. So I can't brag on my faith because my faith is a gift from God. (laughs) So salvation is a gift of God. And the faith that results in salvation is a gift of God. And throughout our lives, God is giving us the gift of faith by which we receive the gift of righteousness that he's also giving us. It's a lifelong process from faith to faith, from new birth faith to dying faith, from initial salvation faith to walking in faith and living by faith. Let me just mention the preposition he uses here. could be a little bit confusing. The Greek word is eis. Most translations translate it to, here in this verse, from faith to faith. But the ESV curiously translates it for. Now, the pronoun itself, it's okay to translate it for. It can certainly mean for, depending on the context. And I suppose the ESV is trying to bring out the idea that the righteousness of Christ is from faith and the righteousness of Christ is for faith in the sense that it produces faith. By the way, that little Greek preposition, ice, is also translated other ways in the New Testament. It's translated in or into or sometimes unto or toward or against or on. Again, it just depends on the context. You have to read the context carefully. But the most natural and most common meaning of this little preposition carries the idea of movement to something or movement into something. In the King James, it's translated into more than it's translated any other way. If you look at all the ways ways it's used in the New Testament, and it's used a lot. So the idea seems to be beginning with faith and from that faith leading into even more faith. From faith to faith. So Paul's saying people need the gospel because the gospel rescues people from the wrath of God against sin because the wrath of God is very real and very necessary and a part of his righteous character because sin is horrible beyond our our imagination. We're all sinners. We, We can't realize, we have to almost take it by faith how horrific it is. We can try And we need to try to understand what sin looks like to God. But it's horrific. And it's going to make it clear that the ultimate sin is the sin of refusing to acknowledge God. The sin of trying to be our own little gods. He just told us that these ungodly and unrighteous men are suppressing the truth. Let me remind you again now, be careful here. When you picture ungodly and unrighteous men, you know, we've kind of been conditioned to have an image come to our mind, maybe some men who are mean looking and maybe they're unkempt and disheveled and they have an evil look in their eye, you know. (laughs) But many ungodly and unrighteous people appear to be very professional and enlightened and highly educated and they've got a wonderful smile and many of them have a very pleasant demeanor and appearance. Many of them sound very sweet and very nice, but they're rejecting God and they're rejecting God's truth and God's word And the Bible says they are therefore ungodly and unrighteous, and they are trying to cover up the truth. Now, we're living in that day right now. 
big time. Verse 19. For, there it is again, for, because what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now that's pretty plain, isn't it? Maybe a little difficult, and we wonder, can this really be true? <laughs> Listen, have you ever heard anybody ask, why does God hide himself? If he exists, why is he so hidden? And I assume by that they mean, why doesn't God just appear in front of me, maybe in some kind of physical form, maybe as a giant of some kind, and just announce for my ears to hear, I'm God. <laughs> or maybe if God's real, why doesn't he just write it out, the words in the heavens, up there in the sky, I'm God, so we can see it. Well, first of all, if God did something like that, if he started performing the kind of tricks that we'd like for him to perform for men, men still wouldn't accept him. For one thing, of course, it trivializes him into some kind of cosmic magician or illusionist or something like that. Showing off tricks. People, but you know what people would say? They'd say, I wonder how they did that. I wonder what really caused that. And they begin to speculate maybe about hallucinations. We must all be having hallucinations. Or maybe UFOs are doing this. Or maybe some kind of government secret operations are you know, behind all of this. You remember this happened in the New Testament. <laughs> they tried to do that to Jesus. Jesus came into this world as the light. And he's shining in the darkness. He's pushing back the darkness. So, yes, he healed many, many people. And he drove out many demons. And he forgave people's sins. And he raised the dead back to life, driving out the darkness. And, of course, the word got out about him. And huge crowds came to check him out. That's about everywhere he went. There were these monstrous crowds. And, and do you remember the scripture where even though he had already performed many amazing and wonderful miracles to get great glory to his father, they said to Jesus, what sign do you give that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And then we're saying, Jesus, do some tricks for us. Luke tells us that that was true about Herod. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. Herod wanted to see some tricks. Matthew told us at one point the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. They wanted to see Jesus do some tricks. And Jesus said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. You know what the sign of Jonah was? Three days and three nights, and then back to life. <laughs> yeah, Jesus used Jonah to point to his own resurrection. That's the sign. And what Paul's telling us here is that God's already given us plenty of evidence for us to know that he's real, that he's here. Anybody that wants to know if God's real can easily know. Because, he says, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Listen, as far as this goes, if you've, if you've not watched them, I'd like to challenge you to watch the Veritas 2020 videos and that Veritas 2020 playlist, number 16 and 17 and 18, on the subject of molecular biology and the second law of thermodynamics. 
And also maybe number 34 on the fine-tuning of the universe. In fact, you really need to watch the whole series. The first few of them talk about the resurrection of Jesus. I'm serious. Listen, guys, as a Christian in the 21st century, you and I need to be prepared to be challenged. You're going to be challenged. And you need to be ready to give an answer. God commands that. That's not my opinion. And God's made himself very evident to anyone who wants to find him. Anybody that gets confused and wants to see him, God says, here, look at the evidence. The problem is not that there's no evidence. The problem is men don't want to find him, guys. They don't want to be accountable to God. So they try very hard just to explain him away. They're not looking for God. They're looking for ways to explain him away. They don't want to believe in God. And they come up with crazy theories like Darwinism to try to show how God's creation got here without God. <laughs> and, and, if, and if you point out the absurdity of what they're trying to believe and even remind them of the laws of probability that make it absolutely, totally ridiculous what they're trying to believe, they may say with great confidence, in fact, they do say, well, maybe our atheistic scientists can't explain it yet, but we will someday. We'll figure it out. And what they're doing is appealing to science of the gaps. You know, it all looks like it points to a creator. And it does. <laughs> But they said, well, no, 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 we're going to leave out the creator. We'll figure out a way to explain this without God. Just give us some time. God calls them fools. They may have a lot of education. They may have learned some clever phrases. They may know some esoteric vocabulary words. But God says they are fools. And guys, you know this, I hope, as well as I do. We live in a day when these fools are going to do their best, if you don't agree with them, to shut you up. If you try to speak the truth about God, they don't want to hear it. They're determined, just as Paul says here in this passage, to suppress the truth. To suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. Paul told us that in verse 18. Now look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Did you catch the first part of that there? They knew God. He said they knew God. Said, wait, 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 Paul. You surely don't mean that like it sounds. I mean, we can find lots of people who insist they just can't believe in God. They say there's just not enough evidence to convince them that there's God. Have you ever heard that? I've heard that many times. So what's Paul mean? He means actually what we've already seen. God has given plenty of evidence for men to realize he's here if they want to see it. Kids have no trouble understanding there has to be a God. They know intuitively that all these things they see around them with their eyes, living things, plants, animals, people, all the creation around them. Kids, it's easy. It had to be created. They know intuitively Something doesn't come out of nothing. If something starts to exist, it had to have something or someone who caused it to exist. Even kids know that, just intuitively. It doesn't take a lot of, you know, deep study to figure that out. But some people, listen guys, this is sad, but it's true. Some people are willfully stupid. They choose to believe a lie. They convince themselves that all these other Highly educated people who are rejecting God just like they do. People who are also believing a lie that all of these highly educated people, they can't possibly be wrong, can they? I mean, they're highly educated. <laughs> and they convince themselves that they can explain life without a life giver. 
that they can explain creation without a creator. They convince themselves that something really can come from nothing. So yes, they knew God, but they didn't want God. They didn't want to believe in God. So Paul tells us they simply didn't honor him as God. They didn't give thanks to him as God. And what happened to them? When he said their thinking got, got muddled, they became futile in their thinking is the way he said it. Futile. It's the only place in the Bible where this particular Greek word is used, futile, the word translated futile here, but it comes from another word that's used in the New Testament. Also, it usually means vain, it means useless, without a purpose, empty, meaningless. Their thinking has become muddled, confused, meaningless, messed up. Listen, you know this. If you're a biblical Christian and you're watching this today, you're probably looking around today, right now, at our highly secularized world around you, at all these people who are leading God out, and you're, and you're thinking, people have gone nuts. They've gone crazy. They've gone looney tunes. This is insanity. Well, it is. That's pretty much what Paul's saying here. They become futile in their thinking. When people start trying to come up with how the world should work while they leave God out of their thinking, they'll come up with thoughts and they'll come up with ideas and they'll come up with imaginations like foolish ideas like the way to help the poor is through socialism, critical theory. They'll come up with ideas that lead to the sexual revolution, the transgender revolution, abortion, ideas that are insane, and, and it leads to chaos, and it leads to disaster, and they can't see it. Because Paul says here, their foolish hearts are darkened. They're in the dark. They claim to be wise, he says, but they're really fools. Very sad, and it's the world we're living in. Be aware. Be awake. Stay tuned in. Understand this passage. <laughs> well, Paul's not done, <laughs> but we'll stop here for the moment and pick it up in verse 23 next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for putting this passage of Scripture in your word. Lord, we know that there are people, even people who call themselves Christians, who don't like this passage. But I pray we will like it and love it and appreciate your truth and cling to you, and cling to your truth. Lord, that we will not be deceived by a world that's chosen to leave you out of their thinking, and their thinking has become futile and messed up, and they perceive themselves to be wise, but they're really fools. Lord, please do not let us be deceived by fools who may look like angels of light at first, but when they leave you out, Lord, we know they're headed for destruction. So please help us to internalize these verses and be able to communicate these things to others as you give us opportunity. And to stand firm in your truth, Lord, in these very difficult days we're living in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.